It's time now for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by the one and only Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, to catch us up on uh, this week in history. Good morning. Well, How are good you? Good morning, Aaron. I am always glad to be here where all the excitement occurs all the time. <laughs> <laughs> always a lot of excitement At, in the well, studio. Well, this is the, the Trinsic Aura Studios. It's the award-winning radio station. And, you know, it's not just for the state, but I was thinking about this. It's really for the country. You start realizing how few sta uh, stations get awarded like this, and other states have association of broadcasters. It's pretty amazing oh, thank you. That, that listeners get to hear the best of the best right here. So, anyways, Thanks. in terms of history, uh, this is an interesting week um, that I, I, the thing that kind of jumped out when I was looking over uh, the things that I find was uh, some of the disruptive events that occurred that are in good ways um, and uh, that changed our lives for the better. One of them is a date, October 3rd, 1899, when the first modern vacuum cleaner was patented. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> but it is, would bear no resemblance to anything in your house. Right. This thing was the size of a small house <laughs> <laughs> and had hoses and it was gasoline powered. Very much no. like the first computer. Yes, I would and think, it would yeah. not be something you would have in your house. Right. Actually, they would, uh, the fellow who developed it, um, uh, he actually brought this uh, contraption to your house and would snake in these hoses. <laughs> then the hoses would suck up. Uh, the material that was the first big development. Up up to then, people had you know brought out rugs. They would beat them, you know. They would sweep constantly. Mm. It was a constant mess. I mean, some cultures you take off your shoes, uh, but for the other cultures, you know, like ours in the United States, um, a lot of times it's people actually wearing shoes, and that brings in tramping dust stuff and, in. Oh, yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. But the thing that's so interesting is, as this develops, the next big thing is when. Um, a, uh, a janitor gets realizes that he's coughing all the time because of the dust, and he invents the more modern understanding. It has a basket, it has a fan, um, and it sucks in, and it's right. electric. And that's the big development. Then paper bags <laughs> was another one. But the really disruptive event occurs in the 1970s, when a fellow in England, and his wife's a teacher, and so he's just uh, kind of relying on her salary, but he thinks he has an idea, and he begins a series of experiments. Now, these dwarf, the ones you hear about Edison inventing the light bulb and the filament and you know, how many times, he, he actually counts them, and it comes up to something over 5,126 <laughs> model prototypes that are quite there, but not quite the 500. 127th is the one that he says, yes, this is it, and thinks triumphantly, this is great. No more paper bags. Isn't this a great thing? And it's like crickets. He takes it to every vacuum cleaner company, and they're like, no, you know, the paper bag uh, uh, industry is a $100 million business. No, we're not really interested. Oh, wow. He doesn't have it. Well, Meanwhile, his wife is like, George, why are there 5,126 <laughs> vacuum cleaners in the basement? What are we going to do with them? <laughs> well, don't worry. <laughs> why can't I use the garage? <laughs> and um, he actually then goes to Japan, makes a, it's a bright pink model. It's offered for like 2,000 pounds, equivalent to like $6,000, $7,000. And it catches on. And he begins to put in all the patents for it because he realizes this is something and becomes determined 
I'm going to offer this anyways. Well, his name is James Dyson. <laughs> He's a multi-billionaire uh, as a result of that, still living. And uh, But, you know, it's just to say that sometimes disruptive technology is not just a clear avenue, and that's what uh, history shows, too. There's another uh, person that I, I wanted to highlight, uh, too. Um, uh, her name is uh, Fanny Lou Hamer. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was born on October uh, 6, uh, 1917, and born into a sharecropper uh, family. Um, and we may not have heard anything from her except that she wanted to vote. And so uh, she goes to register to vote in Mississippi, and they say, well, no, you, you can't. You, you yeah. have to pass this uh, Which at this point test. is her right because of all kinds of constitutional amendments right. at this point, the 15th, the 19th. Right, but not the 24th. That doesn't come to like 1964, which yep. is about poll taxes. Poll taxes, so yep. Takes her three times, finally passes this constitutional act, and I dare say that a lot of us would be hard-pressed if we had to pass a test to say, can you read the Constitution or tell us where this is? Mm. Well, she does. And then she finds out, oh, oh, there's one other thing. You haven't paid your poll tax. And a poll tax is this ar arcane way of, again, trying to disenfranchise people from voting by saying, well, you, in order to do this, you've got to pay some kind of tax. And for very poor people um, with limited means, this was a giant hurdle. Right also, there. the origination of the of the phrase "grandfathering in," because right. if you if your grand what was it if your grandfather was yes. allowed to vote, then you didn't have to pay the poll tax. But if he wasn't, then you did, and that was Is a that way right? of I did not know disenfranch that. specifically targeting wow. black voters without specifically targeting black voters. Right. You have this uh, complicated rule that wow. makes it so that only black voters are targeted. Well, that's what happened with her, and she finally ends up paying this. And this is, again, well, don't we have laws against that? That's 1964 mm -hmm. when the Constitutional Amendment is passed, the 24th Amendment, uh, that prohibits uh, the, the use of poll tax as being a determinant between voting. But she endures a great deal of hostility, uh, standing up for civil rights is beaten, and uh, but she becomes this really powerful voice in some ways because it's such deep conviction. Uh, of who she is and a powerful force within the civil rights movement. Speaking with uh, Scott Washington, History Matters, uh, two more. What do we got? Okay. Uh, here is one that I think is, it, again, this is a little disruptive. In the case of Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, the disruption was, of course, pushing against things that are wrong, and that's the right idea. Uh, this one is actually uh, goes back to a couple of dates, and they're spanning a couple of centuries. Um, one is October of 4th, uh, 18, uh, and it's a birthday, 1716, a fellow named James Lynn, mm -hmm. and he's a Scottish physician, and, you know, it was terrible. The sailors would go out, they would get sick with scurvy, and no one could figure this out. What are we going to do? How, what, this was really limiting uh, travel uh, and certainly expeditions. Um, and he's the guy who figured out, well, gee, it looks like, and did a series of experiments to prove that if you introduce citrus fruits, that this seemed to somehow stave off scurvy. Didn't even know why at the time. No, it was just right. like, this is what works. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And that's why the other uh, date that pops up this week is uh, on, a, on August, uh, I mean, sorry, October 9th. Uh, and his name is James Hess. And James Hess is a fellow who uh, was... Uh, born in 1875, and what he pushed this a little bit further and discovered 
uh, that vitamin C could cure scurvy. And um, uh, pasteurizing milk caused it to lose the ability to prevent scurvy, which is like, mm. wait a minute, we need to have pasteurization. <laughs> I can't imagine us not having that now. Uh, but he conducted uh, studies, uh, and they, it was kind of stuff that now would not pass any ethics tests. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, here are these institutionalized babies. Let's withhold orange juice from them, and let's see what happens. Right. Well, there we go. That's proof of concept. But that's a little bit hard. But this idea of, of, of how vitamins, this micronutrients that we almost take for granted now, but this was a really revolutionary, disruptive idea. 1912, the same year the Titanic struck, sunk, is uh, sailed and sunk, is the year when the term vitamin starts to get mm -hmm. prominence. And suddenly they realize some other common diseases could be solved simply by introducing the right uh, micronutrients and, more importantly, the right foods, which is a really important thing to know. And that is how history matters. Scott Washington, thank as you. always, thank you so much. Thank you.